Welcome to the Day 2 Podcast. Today's episode, recent e-commerce news, including Amazon and Shopify make a buy with Prime deal and Amazon top aggregators at odds with their lenders. After offloading its entire logistics division to Flexport, a new buy with Prime app for Shopify has been developed and worked out with Amazon. Additionally, Shopify offloaded all of its logistics to Flexport, who just lost Dave Clark, its former CEO, to run for the governor of Texas. Welcome to the Day 2 Podcast, where we give you the unfiltered truth to launch, grow, and protect your brand on Amazon and beyond. James Kelly, our guest and our most guested guest at the Day 2 Podcast here. Uh, James, how have you been? What's happening? Life's been good. Just been preparing for Q4 since Q2. I feel like we're finally almost there. And Good job. Uh, yeah. You started at the right time. Q2 is when you start working for Q4. I know. It's like you finally have recovered from last Q4 and you got to start thinking about the next Q4. So, you know, just exactly. been a never-ending cycle of, uh, of e-commerce uh, glory over here. And, you know, we feel like we're, uh, we're well-prepped. So now we just got to buckle down and execute for a few months and then, and then take a few days off. Is all your inventory ready to land in FBA by October? Is it the date? Is the date October twenty sixth? I think that's that's our drop dead date. We just got a picture today of just boxes and boxes and boxes of clothes stacked in a warehouse in China. So you know, all the fingers are crossed. We're like making offerings to the gods of uh, logistics and uh, the ocean liners and you know everything we can do. So we're hoping for we're hoping for the best. Excellent. I'll burn some incense over here to help you get that stuff in time as well. James, you know, I I think this is maybe your fourth or fifth episode. So happy uh, that you have been able to make the time for us a day to always appreciate your comments. We've got a couple of big type stories to talk about. But before we dive in, I know that you were an early adopter and buy with Prime. And uh, I know you're not using it for all of your brands on all of your .com websites, but roughly how many SKUs are you using it for? Have you seen the conversion rate improvements that the Amazon BioPrime folks talk about? And are you adding Prime customers to your customer list? How's it going? Yeah. So we first activated Buy With Prime almost a year ago on one of our brands. You know, Wooly is kind of the big, the breadwinner in our portfolio. And uh, they just recently launched um, Cart Building. And it's a huge part of that business. And so we, we haven't had it there and it's a little too close to Q4. So we're going to, we're holding off until next year. Yeah. We've had it live for, for probably 10 months or more on two brands and probably somewhere around 50 to a hundred different products. Um, and okay. you know, I think it was interesting. I had really high hopes. I, I remember the first day I turned it on, I had an order before I like went to sleep. I turned it, it was the last thing I did that day was I activated on the site. And then like, before I checked my email, I was like, oh my God, I got an order already. You know, it was just like, you know, usually you turn stuff on in e-commerce and it's like, you know, maybe the first month you get like, yeah, exactly. And it was just like that. And you know, it's been just like a steady state. It works, you know, people use it. You know, the conversion rate has gone up a little bit. You know, these are, these are not huge um, presences. They're not big websites, but you know, I think. It's taken our off Amazon market share from, you know, one to 3% without doing anything. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I would say it's not insignificant um, and we're not oh. going to get it off and we're going to keep experimenting. And so it's definitely one of those things that's uh, you, you try it out and you're like, okay, there's something here to be determined, right? It's not a, 
you know, like I turned on Walmart this year and I was like, what the, like, what am I doing with my time? Right. Like I got to turn this off. I can't wait to turn this off. And I with primes in the other camp of, you know, like, it's not the like, Oh my God, home run. It's the, oh, okay. Let's, let's keep watching. Let's keep trying. Let's keep experimenting. At F7 here, we introduced uh, the possibility of buy with prime for a client recently. And uh, they said, you know, I'm not interested in giving Amazon my customers. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. These are Amazon customers. They're already prime customers. And this is buy with prime is the only way that you can get that customer contact information into your database, into your email list. Are you able to track that in terms of how many of those buy with prime orders you capture the customer data so that you can remarket later or, or, or make as part of your greater DTC marketing plans? I got to re-up my knowledge by with Prime because when we turned it on, one of the challenges was is that it was, it's an off-link checkout experience. And so it actually, it was really hard to calculate a conversion lift because you had to do kind of off the napkin math to figure it out, right? Like, yeah, you know, what's happening? Who's really converting? And, and then, you know, then it's kind of fuzzy math and um, it wasn't playing into like pixel rates and the Shopify conversion wasn't representing it. And so the systems were definitely like really gum and duct tape kind of a situation. Like it, it definitely worked and it was a, it was an easy checkout. But as far as the operator trying to be like, Hey, is this a win or not? It was a little hard to tell this new integration that they're touting. You know, I haven't played with it yet, but it sounds like, you know, it sounds like one of the big negotiating tactics was kind of like who gets what data, what's talking to whom. And the one thing I was actually curious about in the, you know, reading some of the recaps was how, how savvy Amazon was to the fact that the harder this stuff is, the more portals there is, sellers aren't going to use it. It's all got to be native to Shopify. You know, it's got to all work in one place. Like every time I have to log out, log into some other thing, figure out my password, go over here, do some weird math, make a separate Excel sheet. Every time that happens, it just becomes less likely I'm ever going to do it again. And so I right. think Amazon gets that, Shopify gets that, and they're just kind of fighting about how to make it work. I think there's a lot of TBD here, you know, to answer your question. Uh, and they're they're actively working on making it better, which, you know, I kind of see that as the main reason, the main argument to use it is it's clearly inevitable. You know, you got the two big movers are, are both kind of pushing hard in this direction with what looks like kind of uh, major intentions. So, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away. I couldn't agree more, James. And this whole, I call it the Amazon reopening uh, is is sort of happening. I remember in 03, 04, 05, sellers were asked a million questions by the folks and they were listening and, and changing the platform. I know you were asking, you were talking to sellers at your time at Amazon and then it kind of went dark. There wasn't a lot of communication to sellers. Well, in the last two years, I'm noticing a lot more communication with brands and sellers and they're, they're listening and they're opening. You know, um, tomorrow we're recording our long form episode about the Amazon Accelerate conference. And it, it's very interesting. Amazon is being very savvy and understanding that in order to get this to work on Shopify and some of the other platforms, it has to be seamless and they have to open up a little bit and they have to give a little bit. And, you know, one example of this is, you know, the Amazon Emerald program app experience where all of a sudden, if you have a SaaS software built on Amazon APIs, you can come in there in Seller Central and be part of the Seller Central experience in the app. And I talked to Aton Wiener, um, all-time friend, uh, CEO of Katita, and he was just so excited about this. He can't, we were talking about it. I was like, can you imagine doing this five years ago? And he's like, no way. But there does, James, there seems to be like, 
this awareness at Amazon that they do need to open and that it's good for them and for brands as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's such a complicated and interesting, you know, shift that you're calling out, right? Like it's really easy to be angry at Amazon about a lot of stuff, but I do think it's, you kind of have to give credit to Darmesh and Andy Jassy. Cause like you said, you know, it's kind of since Bezos out, Jassy in, uh, Wilkie stepped away, you know, some of this old guard of, of executives that came up under the, the, the Bezos um, era, you know, they're all leaving and you can really tell the attitudes changing. And, um, and, you know, I even remember I worked there and I remember one of the, like one of the aha moments for me when I started at Amazon was realizing I didn't work at Amazon. I worked at Amazon seller services because we went into a meeting and the retail team basically just stomped our faces in for an hour and a half. You know, it was just, we were excited about our growth and all these developments and they were pissed about our growth. And I realized I was like, oh, they see this as the Amazon retail business and that we are coming at them. And it it created this, you know, there was an insanely antagonistic and really kind of pugnacious spirit in Amazon at the time. And and you could tell, you know, when I left Amazon, you could tell as a seller, like, oh, I'm on the wrong end of that feeling, right? Like we are the second class customers at Amazon. I think you can really tell that Darmesh, and he even made a post on LinkedIn today talking about customer obsession and that they consider seller partners to be under that umbrella. And I would tell you that when I was there, that was not the case. You know, there was always a, that would come up and someone at the meeting would be like, they're not our actual customers. You know, I'd be like, oh. you know, and so I think that really has changed. And, you know, and I also, so I give them credit. I also think it's kind of a, you know, it's a little bit of survival, right? Like uh, with the antitrust shadows over every corner of the Amazon business, you know, I think their world and their path forward on all of that gets much easier the more that they can bo- boast a, an open platform and a, uh, an enabling friendly relationship with sellers instead of this, you know, really historically not friendly relationship. And so, you know, hopefully it's good for us. I think there's a lot of tide uh, and currents pushing in the direction of a better relationship between Amazon and sellers. And there definitely is. And that, that whole story of it being one P's game and three P is kind of like the, um, uninteresting stepchild. I think that script has flipped. I really do. I mean, all you have to do is look at the growth that the third-party marketplace has driven over the last four years compared to 1P. My guess is third-party sellers are driving more profit dollars down to Amazon's bottom line than 1P. In fact, I think a lot of 3P sellers are financing some of the stuff going on at 1P. Oh, and so- It that way forever. I mean- It has, right? Yeah. And so it's it's honestly, you know you know me, I, I've I've never been shy about being angry at Amazon about the behavior with sellers, but I have definitely noticed a market shift and an opening uh, to sellers and then the the ecosystem supporting sellers and brands, which I, I welcome and it's kind of nice to see. And I don't care how or why it happened. I'm just happy right. that it's here, right? <laughs> I know. <it's> like, <laughs> as long as we're in the like the good graces of uh, you know the gods of Amazon, then you know, I think everything's good. But it does feel it does it's really starting to feel different. And, you know, I was only accelerate for a few hours, but you know, the last two years it's felt like a a very different ballgame. And, you know, I'm sure you can tell stories of seller conferences 10, 15 years ago where it was like, you know, it was worse than the stepchild. You felt like you were having business conversations in dumpsters, you know, like it was <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually remember a conference in New Orleans where it got so hot at the conference. This is one Amazon put on that everyone just left. And I'm convinced 
that Amazon turned up the heat just to end it because they were taking so much flack from sellers about how unhappy they were. That's definitely just hearsay, but I'm convinced it was bad. It was such a bad conference. The it conference that terrible. The, the conference from a couple of weeks ago is just, it's amazing. And you could see how much they value sellers at this point. And it's, it's again, it's welcome. It's and welcome. you know, I think that if you just look, literally just take your lens and you move it from three years to 15 years, Amazon's going to want a robust functioning marketplace in every country in the world. The hardest possible way to do that is just to fire up 150 1P businesses. And the easiest possible way to do that is to fire up 153P businesses. And so I think they realized that their brand with sellers and their brand with entrepreneurs was really in the dumps and that they needed to fix that. You know, like you didn't go and get good vibes at Amazon seller conferences. It was no Stockholm syndrome and uh, like, <laughs> just, you know, anger, right? Like it was, it was uh, vitriol. Yeah. Like it was not good, you know, and I used to run into my old colleagues that would have to go. They would get like assigned to the conference and you could tell they were just like, they were gearing up for some pain, you know? And I was like, you guys can fix this. Exactly. They're like, I got to put my thick skin suit on to go out there amongst the seller crowd. Yeah. It's hilarious coming from Amazon where you got to have your thick skin suit all the time. And I was like, well, it's, you're mistreating everybody. So maybe try a little harder. It's a great segue back to the Shopify deal that uh, was made with Amazon and the Buy With Prime platform. Eugene Kim reported this in Insider, and I was really surprised. I actually had to read the subheadline a couple of times that said that Shopify held a lot of the cards in the negotiation. And I'll, I'll just run through some of the highlights of the article, and I'd love to get your take on it and see, you know, if you're experiencing this as well. But at first, you know, Shopify at first would not integrate the data, and make it available. In Shopify admin, which is like, I'm guessing, you know, I, I was never a Shopify seller, James. So I'm guessing that's like seller central. I think that had something to do. We talked about this in another episode, James, about how, how Shopify had purchased logistics capabilities and they were making this play and hope that maybe they could create their own FBA like platform for Shopify sellers. Well, they sold it. They got rid of it. They sold it over to Dave Clark, who's now running for governor of Texas over to Flexport. And they said, we're out of the logistics business. And then lo and behold, this news from Eugene Kim comes out. The, um, a couple of the features on the new Bio Prime Shopify app actually allows merchants to automatically sync orders, promotions, listings, and taxes in Shopify admin. Again, pointing directly to what you were saying, James. And then this was one that almost made me fall out of my chair. Shopify made sure that ShopPay was the merchant processor over Amazon Pay. And, you know, this kind of tells me Amazon's making a lot of money off of logistics services, or they're willing to invest in this buy with prime because they see down the road, three, five, 10 down the road, this is going to be a big deal. So were you surprised by this news? Uh, not only that the buy with prime app, there was collaboration between Amazon and Shopify, but that Shopify actually held some cards here. What do you make of that? Yeah, I, yeah, I was, I was surprised just like you were, you know, it, it kind of was one of those headlines that you know, you get all the Amazon newsletters, right? And you're like, all right, all right, whatever. And, and I remember the day this one came out, I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is a little different than than the use, you know? And, and you know, I remember when I read it, I originally, I thought back to last year's Amazon Accelerate and the keynote, they had this one bullet point that stopped me in my tracks in a similar way, which was that they announced the ability to for brand registry sellers to buy sponsored brand traffic to direct to your own website if you use BioPrime. Yes. 
And I remember yes. they, they announced it and I like hit up my rep and I was like, every, and they were all just like, oh, uh, what? I don't, I don't know if that's real. You know, and I was like, it was on the presentation, you know, and they were like, I'll have to check. And then, you know, it was kind of one of those things of like, maybe it got through somehow, but they weren't ready. But I think that, you know, this is kind of the downstream announcement that reflects that initiative. And, uh, you know, now DSP, I think you can, you know, participate as a, as a non Amazon seller. And so, you know, they're like, you're saying they're opening up all the, the Amazon, you know, previous treasure boxes to this, to this new world. I think, you know, I think it shows a lot of self-awareness from Amazon that, you know, they don't, can't, and probably shouldn't be the 99% e-commerce company of the world. There's going to, people are going to want to go other places and, and, you know, there's going to need to be other places and people want their own websites and they want, you know, like, they can't control everything and they're better off if they try to be good supportive partners and enablers of all these other types of transactions and commerce that can happen and, um, and work with sellers and work with entrepreneurs rather than trying to force everybody to do the thing that fully puts money in Amazon's pocket and, and takes it out of our pocket. And so, you know, like we're saying in the other discussion point, you know, I'm hoping this, this kind of shows this new side of Amazon of like, Hey, let's be supportive enablers of commerce, not, uh, yeah, you know, right. monopolistic anti-competitive actors in the space. And, you know, I think there's a lot of signs pointing towards that shift, but I think that's, this is a huge one, right? They actually, you know, they actually went forward with a major announcement where Shopify kept a lot of control, which is, it's a big change from, from the Amazon of the past. Absolutely. You know, it, it just, this openness that's kind of a, become a theme of the episode here that we're both seeing. And, you know, I do the same thing. Like you said, I love that you say you're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're like, whoa, wait, wait, what? Um, you know, there, there's so many of those that are coming out. Buy with Prime, where you can capture the Prime customer's information to remarket. The DSP advertising to a dot-com website. I remember us talking about that on the Trends and Predictions panel a couple of years ago on, on Prosper. You know, it was kind of a mix in terms of whether they were going to do it or not. They did it. And it, it reminds me a little bit of the Microsoft story when Satya Nadella Nadella took over from the old regime to the new regime. And I was actually living in Sammamish at the time, James. Everyone on our, we were the only family that lived on our street. The company town over there. Yeah, it was the company town. Exactly. We were the only one that lived on our street, the entire street that didn't work at, at Microsoft. And I remember the change in energy from all these folks when we would have, you know, neighborhood get togethers or whatever, how excited everybody was about Sachin Adela's leadership and how he was doing this open, open strategy as as a as opposed to the closed strategy that had been mo for so many years. It just got a little bit of that feel to it, and I think it will pay huge dividends for Amazon moving forward. I really do. From a buy with Prime Shopify user experience, have you seen any of these in Shopify admin where you're starting to see some of this data trickle into the system? Or is it still in implementation? You know, I think it's out there. I think I just haven't done it yet. Um, and, you know, and I think, and like I said, we haven't done the newest version of the integration uh, with card building and on all of that. Big changes to our website are pretty scary at this point. So, you know, we're like treading really lightly with. Especially going into Q4. Especially going into Q4. This is like not the time to, you know, try anything new. So I'm guessing when we talk again in Q1, I'll have a lot more kind of firsthand knowledge, but it's also one awesome. of the nice things about having a little bit of a portfolio of brands is, you know, I kind of have my, my test kitchens, you know, like my yep. brands where I'll try stuff out. And if it kills, 
conversion by 50%, it's just not, you know, a needle mover. So that's kind of where I'm at is that it's in this real kind of um, test kitchen zone. I kind of think that Shopify, you can see in some of these articles where Shopify is treading really lightly too. And you can feel that yeah. kind of with the integrations that I've seen so far where, you know, they're not, it's not like Shopify is like trumpeting this and, you know, clearly like putting all their, their eggs in it. They're, they're, they're treating it very tentatively too. So, you know, I think my mindset is like, if your platform provider is being tentative, then you should be tentative, right? Because right. You know, they might pull that thing. You know, I have this feeling right now, like it's a big PR win, but Shopify, if it, if it doesn't make their merchants happy, I think Shopify would pull the plug in a heartbeat. Like they don't need Amazon. Um, right. And, uh, and, right. and I think that, like you're seeing with, like you called out, you know, Amazon conceded a lot. I think it means a lot more to Amazon than it does to Shopify. I think they need utilization of their shipping network, you know, more than Shopify needs, um, you know, another checkout method. Right. And so, yeah, I think yeah. there's a little more to be gained for, for Amazon to, to make this work. It also seems like the Amazon only seller is kind of a dying breed. I mean, you started as one, right? You started at Amazon only. And then we're like, wait a minute, I need to diversify some sales channels here. And a lot of the DTC brands who have been on only through DTC, I think are also at a slower pace realizing, look, Amazon's table stakes. If I'm spending all this money in advertising off of Amazon and I go to Amazon and I search my brand, I'm seeing all these competitors stealing my brand name clicks. And so I got to be there as well. I hear what you're saying that, you know, buy with Prime, Amazon wants this buy with Prime thing more than Shopify, but it definitely seems like a win-win for them, right? It seems like a win-win for both of them to work together, especially now that Shopify offloaded logistics and is figuring out how to make all that that media money um, on, the, on the advertising side. That seems like a much smarter move. I think everything we're talking about here, all these resources that are kind of being assembled, are there's one thing missing, and that's traffic. Shopify doesn't have a traffic engine, and they're trying to figure out how that works. And Amazon has their own, but they also know that they're a limited commodity, right? And Amazon doesn't play well with TikTok and Instagram. And, you know, there's so many of these places where customer eyeballs are these days. And, and you know, the two biggest e-commerce engines in the world are really kind of ungainly, clumsily attached to them. But if you fully virtualize your fulfillment capacity, you fully virtualize your checkout capacity, and you can build these bottom of funnel experiences and just latch them onto traffic engines, you know, I think that's what kind of unlocks the next stage of, of e-commerce growth. Interesting. And, you know, I think you see Amazon, if I look behind the scenes, you know, I think Amazon knows that like, they're not cool enough to be a TikTok partner in their current formulation. They need something different, right? Yeah. Shopify kind of doesn't work great with that, you know? And so like, I think the next wave of things we're going to see is like really making those integrations work really tightly. And, you know, you kind of see like TikTok, I think just this week they said they're opening a huge office in Seattle to go after TikTok shop. Oh, yeah. Instagram and Facebook keeps playing around with, you know, their own e-commerce solutions, like launching stuff, turning it off. And, and uh, you know, I think the rubber's about to hit the road on connecting these two worlds. You know, they're really, it's not efficient yet, you know. Uh, it doesn't really work well. Every brand I know is kind of like, I got to be on Instagram, but I can't tell you exactly why, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, right. You know, it's it's that we're in that place and it doesn't make sense yet, but I think it, this is all setting up to make it make sense is, is kind of what I see. Where does Shopify go to make, you know, there's all, there's been a lot of rumors about 
Facebook and Shopify and you know less so with Google and Shopify, but where does Shopify go to get that traffic source in your mind? Any predictions there? What I want Shopify to do, and they keep kind of trying to do it, is uh, basically an Amazon marketplace of their own merchants, right? Ah, okay. So launch a shopping experience. Uh, yeah. And they have it now. If you go to the shop app, you can see like who, what's a local merchant to me? And, you know, the problem is, is I just don't think people really use it. You can tell if you get sales and traffic from there and it's still pretty tiny. So I, I would bet the three-year plan at Shopify is how to turn that into a standalone shopping experience that works really well with like DTC stores that have their own shops. Like, do you remember when Bonobos opened their first store? Oh yeah. Like go into the store. You don't actually leave with anything. You try stuff on and you transact on the app and you, they just ship it to your house. Yeah. And that was 15 years ago or, or whatever. And so, you know, trying to bridge this gap between all the ways that people learn about brands and transact with them and, and kind of like it's that brand because customer relationship that I think Shopify can really own. I love it. I think it's a really healthy prediction. I think it makes sense. And now that they've offloaded that logistics portion, which was an albatross to them. And I think we talked about it on one of our previous episodes, James, there was just no way that they were going to be able to invest the amount of dollars needed to even get half as good as Amazon is with their logistics network. So they did the smart thing, I think. They dumped it. Yeah, I think they have other things they should be doing. And, you know, like you mentioned, Amazon is really kind of flexing their fulfillment muscle, I think. Oh, yeah. Shopify is just recognizing, like, I don't think anyone in the world realizes how big of an advantage Amazon has built by investing however many hundreds of billion dollars in a fulfillment network in the last 30 years. Yeah. I think it's about to happen. Like, we're about yeah. to all just wake up and be like, ah, okay, got it. Like, yeah, exactly. I think you and I are already there, James. We're like, oh boy, here it is. And then another announcement from Accelerated, the Amazon shipping. I remember talking about this, I don't know how many years ago, God, eight years ago, when they were talking about offering shipping services to deliver your goods to any any marketplace order or any dot, dot com. $100 billion they claimed they invested in the Amazon shipping over the last probably eight years. I mean, who can do that? That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And I'll tell you what, there's not a lot of spare capital going to big, hard projects like this right now. And so this advantage is just going to keep growing for the next two, three years until capital markets loosen up, right? So Amazon is like, they're so well positioned to just, they don't need to hammer people on e-commerce anymore. They've got the fulfillment leg and they're making money on it. I think, you know, that's- Oh yeah, no question. Yeah, I mean, so why don't they just take over the world's fulfillment? You know, that's not a bad second option. The first thing that popped into my head is, you know, all these Teamster uh, union negotiations are going on with UPS. And I was like, UPS should be terrified that Amazon's going to go after that final mile delivery uh, for e-commerce. They're coming for UPS's business and FedEx's business. And frankly, they I can't really speak for UPS. I, I know I was a FedEx customer for a lot of years. They're better at it. Amazon's better at this final mile delivery thing. They just are. They've got better technology. They got better infrastructure. They're putting all these electric Rivian vans on the roads to deliver clean energy stuff, right? It's pretty incredible what they've done. It is is something to behold for sure. You got to tip your hat to them. I mean, it's, yep. You know, you build businesses. You've built, I don't know how many businesses. You know, I've built a few, you know, like, as much as you can be upset, I think you you know you see what they're doing and what they're building, and you recognize the the magnitude and the scale of it, and you it's hard to be anything but impressed, you know. Agreed. No matter what other feelings you might hold simultaneously, but it's uh, 
it's a, it's an impressive achievement, you know, and it's about to be really impressive, I think, obviously, to everybody. So, Speaking of capital and capital markets, let's talk about the aggregators for a second. Because Spencer Sober had a very, very interesting breaking news story. I'm surprised it didn't get more traction than it, than it deserved, but I think he launched it on a Friday night or Friday afternoon, so it got buried a little bit. Apollo Global Management, a huge private equity firm that invested at least half a billion dollars in debt via another PE, Victory Park Capital, to invest in a multitude of Amazon aggregators, is trying to force the sale of these aggregators to each other and asking companies to give up equity to reduce the massive amounts of debt. To give you an idea, Perch, uh, which was number two on that largest by amounts raised, raised a billion dollars to buy Amazon seller brands, a billion. Venture Park Capital was unsuccessful in selling the company. Perch to uh, and Apollo has stepped in to try to force this sale. Rising interest rates and costs have hamstrung aggregators like Perch. I also would add in there a, a significant lack of selling experience, probably had something to do with their demise. Uh, but the debt holders want to get as much of their principal back as possible. And the equity holders want the debt holders to just write it down, write that principal down. And the debt holders are saying, not so fast. Venture Park Capital and Apollo are trying to pressure the aggregators like Moonshot, Dragonfly, Juvo Plus, and Cap Hill Brands in Seattle to buy Perch. According to Spencer, all of these companies have defaulted on their loans repeatedly for a very long period of time. My guess is that you know this will probably end up in the courts, James. Uh, whenever debt and equity holders don't want to give, there's there's got to be some mediator to step in and resolve this. I knew that this stuff had a serious hype cycle and it was going to come down. I didn't know it was going to be this messy, James. Thoughts? I mean, I think we called this one too. We're this is yeah. like a James and Jason were right episode. That's right. That's what we should. That's what we should title this. Uh, like that. Pretty, uh, editors, let's call it that. Yeah. <laughs> Feels good, I guess. Although this is a pretty uh, unfortunate thing to be right about. I mean, it's going to be a lot of pain for a lot of people. You know, there's not much point in re relitigating. You know, the the challenges here. I think we kind of called that a while ago. You know, maybe there's one thing that I see here. It's like, you know, what are the takeaways? I think one is it's the same takeaway of the entire last conversation we had, which is it's no longer really that valuable to just be an Amazon brand. You know, and that's what we. That was one of the takeaways of the buy with prime conversation. That was one of the takeaways of the, you know, the, the rise of Shopify conversation and, and, and all of that. And, you know, I think so what this market collapse tells you is that the real value is in true differentiated product and, you know, real honest to goodness, you know, high, high customer uh, retention brand building exercises. Right. And so. Right on. Showing up to a marketplace with a knockoff product for 10 cents less than the next guy and selling a million dollars a month for six months is, you know, it's not worth a lot anymore. And, you know, I think yeah. that there's a lot of those companies in these portfolios and they're being accurately downvalued because they probably just got that done to them five times over in the last 18 months. And so, um, so you, I think you see what that, that old business model is worth. And I think you see what it takes and how hard it is to your point. You know, these guys are not true operators of brands. They're, hatchet men, you know, trying to exploit a, a brief market window. And, you know, sometimes you get left holding the bag. So that's what's happening. And so I think for the people who are still in the game, you know, it's a wake up call, like get really good at, at product development, get really good at brand building and, uh, you know, retrench 
for the next round because it's going to be uh, a good long dark window. You know, I think if you pay any attention to like the VC markets and and everything that's been happening there, you know, there's a very similar drawdown happening, you know, all over the world of technology and investment right now. And so it's going to be a solid 18 to 36 months of pain and uh, it's a survival game. And if you can keep growing through this and come out the other end, you're going to be in a good position. And, you know, I think it might be a good time to start looking to purchase. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, it's a tough time right now to be carrying half a billion dollars in debt if you're doing eight figures a year. <laughs> I think that probably is the same no matter what period you're living through. But, you know, someone is going to have to take a huge haircut here on some of these aggregators mentioned by Spencer in this article. My guess is it's probably not going to be Apollo. It's going to be these equity holders. But but we'll see. And you're right. And, you know, it's interesting, James, just to dovetail off what you're saying. You know, I say this all the time to brands, especially DTC brands that come to Avenue 7, is you know one of the diff- one of the main differences if you're a DTC brand and you your all your business is going through Shopify one of the main differences between Amazon and Shopify is Shopify isn't taking your listing down and you got to know what to do when that happens and Amazon as you know has put tons of layers upon layers of fraud prevention with multiple seller accounts etc and as part of our our group over here at Avenue 7 we have a presence department uh, for re- ASIN reinstatements account reinstatements and all of that catalog type of work and we have a lot of business from, we have less business now from aggregators, but we had a lot of business from aggregators early on where they bought an asset and on paper, the seller, the brand looked really, really good. And then when they took over the asset, they, they started to get takedowns, et cetera, because that brand had multiple accounts that no one had talked about. They had listed the same product across many of the accounts. They had done a lot of fraudulent activity on reviews. They bought reviews that were at like you know fifteen thousand, and then the next morning they woke up and they had twenty, because Amazon wiped them clean when they found nefarious activity. So I think that there was just a lot of sort of inexperience from the acquirers that these aggregators had, and they inherited a lot of bad stuff. And you know, got handed to the folks that sold the brands who did all this activity. They did a good job of hiding it, but once that book opened up. And the aggregators started seeing this and many times it was too late. And so a lot of these assets, they just went from, you know, really good revenue to nothing because Amazon shut them down because they were bad actors. It's an interesting thing because, you know, if, if I think back to a year ago, were I an aggregator, what would your diligence process have been, right? And yeah, I think you and I probably know enough to know that it would have been nearly impossible, especially running at the pace these guys had to run at with the funds they raised to do the necessary diligence to not buy a bunch of shit. Yeah. Uh, and that's people who know what they're doing, right? And so you can yeah. just guess how full of holes these portfolios are. Just coming on top of what you're saying there, James, I agree. I, I'm a little bit, um, in fact, I'm very sympathetic to a lot of these uh, folks that were running these aggregator businesses because here's a pile of money. You better spend it and you've got to spend it quickly. And not only to mention that, all of your top 12 competitors also have a pile of money. So if you don't move faster than they do, these assets that are up for sale are going to be gone. What a frenzy. I, I can't imagine what it was like to go through that. I would not, I don't think I would wish that on my worst enemy. And now they're, you know, sort of paying the piper. Yeah. Right. It was just yeah. not a great situation. Now, I, I still think there's some good aggregators that are out there. You know, I know that um, full disclosure, I'm on the board of, of Unibrands. I, I think they did really good work. I think they continue to do really good work. 
There are some smaller uh, aggregators out there. We work with some mini aggregators that just sort of did things the right way and had enough level of experience in the Amazon seller game that they didn't move too fast. And they already had a level of experience to build on it when they got more capital that came in. So I do think there'll be some winners at the end of the day, but anyone that accepted debt with a variable interest rate, uh, not so much. (laughs) You know, I have a question for you as a... um as an agency operator, but you know, like one of the big uh, assumptions that I think is kind of being tested and exposed right now in this entire process is, is it possible to achieve economies of scale with Amazon and DTC brands and businesses? And is it a meaningful enough operating leverage situation that you can truly build for now, maybe hundred million, but you know, in the next five, 10 years, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, you know, like the next PG&E or you know, the next Unilever, you know, on this, on this next wave of um, e-commerce and commerce technology, because I think, uh, you know, I have an opinion, but it's only from a few small brands and my few conversations, I think you see so much more, you know, like, does that feel like, you know, that was the thesis certainly that drove this billions of dollars of, of investment and, and froth. Right. And, yeah. and I think it's also the bottoming out of that thesis that's causing all this pain, but there's going to be some truth that's somewhere in the middle. You know, I think that yeah. we're out in the next no, 12 you know, months. What, what you're talking about is this consolidation play that the private equity groups have been running for decades, right? That's how they became, you know, a billion dollar or some approaching trillion dollar equity valuations. Because, you know, you go up and you buy a bunch of folks doing the same thing. You identify some cost synergies. You cut that out. Your profitability immediately becomes better. And you, you spread fewer management teams across more brands, right? That was the theory coming into it. And it's hard for me to answer it as an agency owner, but I've been on both sides, right? I've been a seller and I've been an agency. There's a lot of stuff that I don't have to do as an agency owner for the 120 brands that we're managing. A lot of it, for example, is like you're dealing with right now, getting all those pieces of clothing that are on a factory floor into a box, into an ocean container and on my dock, right? I don't have to deal with that anymore. I don't really deal with product innovation and development and design there's a ton of stuff that you have to do as a brand owner that I just don't have to do as an agency. And I'm grateful that I don't have to. Do we have to make recommendations and create sales forecasts so people can know how much to order based on trends? Yeah, we do all that, right? When they're getting close to running out of stock, we let them know time to send another FBA shipment in. We do all that. But your question is a good one. Is this model for which these aggregators funded based on this premise real? Can it happen? And I, I always ask myself the question, why wouldn't an aggregator buy an agency That's with some of that money? Thinking. Bring in the brands, hire your product development teams, have them work with the agencies. And I, I, I it was a shocker to me. No one did it. I they have never instead, seen a single deal like that. Yeah, it's kind of shocking, right? Yeah. Because that's what we have to do. That's what we that's what we use to drive our cash flow is we find economies of scale, we figure out ways to work this. And at Avenue 7, we, we have seven different avenues, seven different departments. So we're running through like each one of those is like a factory. We're running through all of the same product availability issues through one department, all the creative through another department. It's a factory, right? And that's what it takes. And you also have to do the same thing in terms of your product design and development and all the other things in your inventory, physical management, et cetera. So it's a really great question. Do I think it could happen yeah, I think so. Uh, for the for the right kind of sort of agency model with the right CFO and really smart retail backed inventory management folks with that kind of talent, 
who know about seasonality and how to stay in stock and what to do when you miss and all that stuff. Absolutely. I absolutely think it could happen. And I'm surprised it hasn't, right? Amazon itself was basically its own version of an agency at the, at the first, you know, yeah, incarnation. Absolutely. They basically ran, you know, they had their avenues. I don't know what they were. It was like in stock, fulfillment, logistics, site front end development, right? And then they let other brands run everything for years and years and years. And, and even now as a 3P marketplace, it's, it's even more distinct, right? Like they're, oh yeah, they don't want anything to do with products and you could argue that as much money as Amazon makes, they've been kind of a failure as a product company, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, you know, some yeah. win, but nothing sustained and durable. So same can be said for their retail capacity, but that's another story altogether. They're brick and mortar. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more story that dropped on the, in the queue last minute, James, Amazon invests $4 billion in Anthropic, a chat GPT competitor using a similar playbook to Microsoft and open AI. Very interesting story because Amazon, Jesse really took a lot of heat and questions for not moving faster once ChatGPT became, you know, the next hype phase craze out there. And sure enough, here's Amazon going, going big, $4 billion with Anthropic to catch them up to ChatGPT. Any thoughts on this story? You know, I hadn't seen that story, but I, I can't say I'm too surprised. Uh, you know, all of the kind of listing optimization and search indexing optimization newsletters that I read, you know, this is the only thing people are talking about right now is the, the end of keywords, um, the rise of context-rich conversational searching uh, and e-commerce. And, you know, for the millions or hundreds of millions, probably billions of listings out there that are constructed with, you know, search terms and indexing, I think that we've probably got a year before that's just gone. Yeah, <laughs> no, so, I think you're right. Yeah, it's like a total rethinking. You know, this is basically I'm just driving my catalog guy insane right now because every day I send him a <laughs> newsletter, I'm just like, change everything that you do right now. This is what <laughs> this is what's coming. Um, and, you know, he's yeah. just trying to keep up with Q4. But, you know, I think it's, uh, I'm hoping that they won't do anything crazy going into Q4 and make our life insane. But I would bet you... <laughs> you know they're gutty, James. I know. <laughs> you do something insane and just piss us off. But, you know, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, all right, I know I got to start thinking about it. Hopefully I have until January before, you know, I really got to like change anything hard. The ground's shifting under our feet right now. The, the LLM earthquake is like starting to shake. It really is starting to shake. And the way I see it, I, I'm not so sure that AI is going, the Gen AI piece at least, is going to replace a lot of workers who are needed to do some of this, I think it's going to allow them to do more. You know, are you, I, there isn't a seller around today that is doing everything that they could be doing. But if you layer in a little gen AI in there to help them, like you said, identify keywords, spit out some even rough drafts that they could polish up as a brand owner, like only they can as, as the brand developers. In a lot of these other ways, like for, like for example, we used to do a ton of manual labor to just sort of collect product reviews and Q&A and uh, return reason sentiment analysis, snap your fingers. Now you have all the information you need, not only on your product, but on competitors' product. That is insanely powerful to those who are willing to do it and use it. Certainly for us here at Avenue 7, we will have that information on every 
priority product for every one of our brands. And we'll be taking that back to the brand. That's really powerful. We would have to hire 560 people to do that process manually, right? And so we would do it on the hero products, but now we're going to be able to do it on those next, you know, soon to be hero products and accelerate that growth. So I think that's the way where this is going. So don't feel bad, James, if you're just, you know, waiting and seeing a little bit here, I think this is going to be something that will help your team do more that you always wanted to do and maybe just couldn't do it because of the labor constraints. You know, what'll be interesting to me is that uh, I feel like, you know, this whole generative AI thing is only 10 months old at this point or something like that. (laughs) Is it 10 uh, months or 10 years? Because it feels like it's been around forever. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, For the amount we've talked about it, it's like, it's definitely uh, long in the tooth. But, you know, the weird thing now is I feel like even in less than a year, like in the same way that when you're flipping through a magazine, you'd be like, oh, oh, this is an ad. This is not an article. You know, you have like something in your brain, like the pattern matching is is ad sensitive. Yeah. My brain is already getting like LLM sensitive. You're like, oh yeah. This is a bullshit thing, you know? Like, yeah. and so figuring out ways, like you're saying, to get the efficiency out of it. And so it's enabling me to work more and do more, but to still have a listing that comes through as genuine and not BS. And I think the weird thing for a customer and for Amazon to figure out is that, you know, it used to be extremely simple to tell what was a knockoff brand from China with a low chance of being a quality product. It's and harder now. Those days are over. Yeah. Less and until your like LLM blends gets, you know, really refined and you'll be like, this is definitely a Chinese LLM listing, right? Like that one, yeah. you know, so there's going to be in the same way fake spot, you know, and they have their whole thing. Like they're going to now be telling like, was this an LLM, LLM listing or is this a, a real listing? And I love you know, that. It's going to be this new, this new but changing way of you know standing out even more subtly in a nuanced way. And you know the same thing with your images, right? You know all these product image, images are AI generated now, but like you know how do you stand out in that world? And you know it's not something that's not too polished. Like it actually looks like a real person and not a uh, a fake person with fake stuff on. So it's going to turn everything upside down. You know this would be a fun one in a year to revisit. Let's do it. It would be a fun one to have a predictions of everybody, you know, who's in the space and in a year to see how wrong we were. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, James, in the final analysis, I think, honestly, this was the James and Jason were right episode. Our (laughs) advice to Shopify in our previous episode was Shopify, you either go all in with logistics, find a hundred billion dollars to invest in your logistics or cut it. (laughs) And they cut it. They chose the latter and we're able to negotiate a strong deal with Biowood Prime. I think those negotiations are ongoing. But well done, Toby and team, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Amazon is opening up in order to continue growth beyond its own walls. And the strategy appears to be working. We both feel Buy With Prime coupled with DSP ads even are each big future growth channels for Amazon. That DSP ads, I'm looking at that thing, James, going, this is going to be massive. We are just- so I spent the, the last two weeks of my life learning about. <laughs> nice. <laughs> if you need any help, let us know. With the aggregators, chickens are coming home to roost for some of these lenders. So many aggregators have defaulted on their loans for so long, PEs have lost patience. Expect a legal battle ahead, further consolidation in the space. We still think the idea of aggregators is a solid one with a better operational plan, perhaps. Uh, but these management teams got too much of a sugar high with inexpensive cash that all of a sudden got really expensive. James, thanks again for being on the show, for your terrific insights as always. You getting ready for ski season? What's next for you? Oh my God, I'm so ready. I uh, I booked a place up in the pass for the full winter. So I'll be slopes I've given uh, for, for, yeah, the next six months. 
So next episode, we'll have the mountain view in the background. Oh, then. It's going to okay. be singing better than this warehouse garbage. It. Yeah, it's going to be beautiful. Awesome. Well, thanks as always, James. Looking forward to our next episode. Our most guested guest. Let's keep it rolling, James. All right. Can't wait to talk again, Jason. Thanks for having me. If you're ready to start growing and protecting your brand on Amazon with a team of experienced Amazon operators, you can visit us at day2podcast.com. That's day2podcast.com. And lastly, if you know anyone who would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. Thanks for listening and happy selling.